Hey everyone, welcome to Founders Fireside Chat, the show where we meet the next generation of startups and the founders behind them. Today we meet Matt Coe, the co-founder of DeepScribe. This episode will learn how DeepScribe uses their AI-based scribe technology to help bring the joy of care back to medicine. I had a great time talking with Matt, and I hope you enjoy. Thanks again, Matt. Really appreciate you coming on. Uh, why don't we just start with a brief background on yourself as well as a brief description on, on DeepScribe. Hi, guys. My name is Matt. Um, I'm one of the co-founders of DeepScribe. Um, at DeepScribe, our mission is to bring the joy of care back to medicine. Um, and essentially what we've developed is an artificially intelligent medical scribe uh, that is capable of producing clinical documentation simply by listening to the natural patient conversation. Um, so what that really means is we're able to kind of synthesize and extrapolate meaning out of natural conversations that patients have with their providers um, without using things like wake words or triggers or anything like that uh, in order to produce the note that the doctor needs to, to write. Super interesting. And can we dive in a little bit deeper into the journey of starting DeepScribe? You know, how did you come up with the idea for it? And then what was that moment that you realized you need to turn it into a reality? The, the story of DeepScribe really started from the patient's perspective. We like to always tell people that we're not doctors. Um, we like, you know, we take pride in the fact that um, we're technologists at heart. And we believe that, you know, as technologists, we are able to kind of bring a new perspective in terms of solving certain problems and things like that. Um, and the case with Deepstride just so happened to be us stumbling upon a problem as technologists and, and trying two key, two geeky little kids trying to solve it. Um, so from, from my end, uh, when I was going to school at, at UC Berkeley, I was also serving as a care coordinator for my mom when she had breast cancer. And I was flying in and out of, of LA where I grew up, um, really just to, to be there for, for her appointments. We like to joke that Describe started when my mom asked me this one question. And the question was, are you lying to me? So my mom, you know, I was mainly serving as her translator. Um, and, you know, my mom literally thought that I was lying to her about her treatment. And the reason she said so was because um, she said, look, Matt, you're telling me everything's going great, but my oncologist, she's running in and out of the room. Um, she's late all the time. She looks super stressed out and she never really gives me the time of day. And for me, you know, it really kind of made me a, an angry patient. Um, and, you know, one thing that I learned through that process was, you know, the, the care that is received is the care that is perceived. And for my mom, you know, the perception of care wasn't there. You know, the, the communication that was happening verbally was not aligning to the, the communication that was happening non-verbally. And it got to the point where I just became a really bad patient. You know, one of those people that thinks that they got their MD from Google and would run into the room <laughs> to um, tell the doctors what to do. And that's when, you know, I, I asked my now co-founder, Akhlesh, um, if I can speak with his father. Um, his father is a clinical oncologist. 
And I figured, hey, like maybe I can ask him what are some pointers you can give me to, um, you know, find a better provider for my mom or, you know, improve the situation that I was in. And when I told him about the problem, um, he basically just laughed at me. <laughs> um, he said, Matt, like you can't, you can't blame your mom's oncologist for, for, for not providing you the level of care that, that you're seeking. Right. Um, he basically said to me, like, as a patient, um, you only see 20% of it. Right. Um, there's so much more that goes on in, you know, the, the hospital, in the, the health system that, that you're not aware of. And, um, he kind of pointed out, you know, the sea of all this administrative back office, um, inside a hospital system that I was never really aware of. Um, and that's when he explained to us, you know, what clinical documentation was and how, you know, him as a provider spends, you know, almost half his day just writing notes. And, you know, he said, you know, that's what my mom's oncologist was doing. She was writing notes and you can't blame her for that because those notes are important <clears throat> for care coordination. Those notes are important for, um, you know, getting the doctors reimbursed. And that's when we really started to grow appreciation for the problem. So, you know, us as technologists, we said, look, like th there has to be a solution here, right? And he, he basically says, yeah, there is. Um, it's something called dictation. <laughs> and Akhilesh, you know, he happened to be running the natural language processing group at the, the Berkeley at Research Lab. And like, we just looked at each other and we said, wait, did you just say like speech to text? Like that's where you're using to solve this? Um, and he was like, yeah, um, we, around, you know, most doctors that he knew uses, uh, dictation. And he said, but look, these tools don't really help me because they only lift the burden of typing and not the burden of the actual documentation itself itself. He still has to kind of walk around throughout the day with this kind of cognitive load where, you know, he has to remember what, you know, he prescribed that patient, six patients ago at 8 a.m., right? Um, and a lot of times those things would get lost. Um, so we figured we can build something better. <laughs> and um, this is around a time when Alexa was really starting to kind of um, gain traction. And we figured, hey, like, let's build an Alexa skill. Um, so we tried building an Alexa skill and we gave it to some of, uh, Akhilesh's kind of aunties and uncles and, and let them tested it out. And we were basically thrown out of the room. <laughs> uh, he, they, they basically said, Hey, if your goal is to improve the patient physician interaction, you don't do that by adding another device you need to interact with into the room. Right. Um, it's like, you know, dictation traded a keyboard for a microphone. Now you're just creating a keyboard, I mean, a microphone for an Alexa, right? Um, and they, and when they explained that to us, it was just so obvious, right? Because how awkward would it be if your doctor was saying like, you know, hey, Alexa, take a note of this. Hey, Alexa, yeah. like every single time it was important, they would have to kind of right. say what's important again. Um, and that's when the first kind of cornerstone of, of DeepScribe really came about, which is what is now coined as this idea of ambience, right? So something that is intelligently listening into the background, 
and is able to understand the conversation and pull out what's meaningful and and what should belong to the documentation. So we, we took that and we went back into the, to the lab and, and started researching, you know, how can we actually build this? And around a year and a half later, we had our first prototype. Um, we had the ability to record a conversation. We had the ability to accurately transcribe that conversation, uh, which a lot of people think is commoditized today, but it, it really isn't, you know, trying to transcribe a medical conversation with multiple speakers that are talking over each other and all these different, you know, acoustic environments because provider offices aren't, aren't the same all the time. Um, it's really hard. Uh, so we had to figure that out. Um, we had the ability to identify and extract all of the medically relevant concepts in that conversation. Um, and we were able to classify those concepts into sections in the electronic medical record. And then finally, we built a process to actually generate sentences from those concepts um, in order to um, create language that, that belongs inside the note, right? So in a conversation, you would say, you know, hey, Matt, uh, um, what are you coming in for today? Oh, I'm coming in because my knee kind of hurts, right? We would identify my knee hurts. We would classify that into the chief complaint and we translate that to patient presents a day with knee pain, right? And that's really kind of the whole magic there. Um, so, you know, we finally built that process out and we went back to the same doctors that kind of threw us out of the room <laughs> and they, they literally would not let us leave until we left it there. So we said, hey, this might be something, um, you know, this might be something worth doing. So that really is kind of like the start of the story. And, and since then, we've just been trying to get this product out to as many clinicians um, as we can. Yeah, that, that background is super helpful. And I think, you know, one of the most important things when you're looking at a company is how passionate the management team is, uh, specifically about the problem. And obviously, that's extremely um, evident with, with your personal story. So definitely appreciate that. Um, I guess, so the, the problem seems pretty clear to me, and I think your solution makes sense. So once a, a physician implements this into their practice, how does their day look different than during the traditional, um, in this traditional situation? It's, it's to be honest, night and day, right? We've been able to identify a wide variety of values, um, from, from our users, right? The, the first one is just documentation time. Um, so, um, really kind of giving the doctors their day back, right? So, you know, our mission at DeepScribe is to bring the joy of care back to medicine. And, you know, what we found through talking to hundreds and hundreds of doctors is the joy of care has been ripped from medicine because the clinicians really do not have very much freedom for what they can do with your day, right? Because they spend all day in clinic and then in the pajama time, they're writing notes and then they wake up and do it over again. And with Deepscribe, we're really able to, to liberate them of that and give them the freedom to decide what they want to do with their time. And it's really empowering to see, uh, to have that time. And it's really rewarding to see what clinicians are doing, to, doing with that time, right? So we have clinicians that are using that time to, um, to see additional patients, right? So some, we have some clinicians seeing up to three to five additional patients a day using Deepscribe. Um, on the other hand, most doctors just want to go home earlier. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, just going back, spending time with your family and, and really kind of restoring their balance in their life, 
which is really important to, to a lot of clinicians and, and they don't really have that experience today. Um, but on other ends of just the day-to-day, -day, right, we're able to improve the patient interaction. So one of the things that we've been able to demonstrate is we've been able to increase the amount of face time that a provider has with their patient by over 2.17x. Uh, um, and um, in our time motion studies, we've also been able to reduce the total length of stay for that patient by around 30%. Um, so what that really means is a clinician seeing patients on Describe, they, they no longer have to choose between providing quality care and spending the rest of their day documenting that care. Right. For the first time ever, they're about they're able to really sit down, see their patient eye to eye, treat them, and work less, right? Um, which is which is very rare to see in healthcare today. Yeah, yeah it's super impressive, and obviously the name of the game is just improving uh, clinical results or improving outcomes for patients. So um, it sounds like your technology clearly does that. One thing I kind of want to circle back to when you were mentioning the process of creating the technology, th the first time you had a product, you got thrown out of the room. Um, and one common thread I've been seeing with founders is kind of their approach to failure. So can you touch on kind of those challenging moments when you were first building out, uh, the product and how your team got through those pain points? Yeah. I mean, it was so hard. I mean, I think the, you know, I remember riding on the back of my Vespa with my co-founder throughout San Francisco, knocking on door doctor's offices and being kicked out of every single one. Right. And, you know, those are the moments I think where it really defines whether or not you're cut out for this. Right. I think as an entrepreneur, one of the things that you need to be open to is feedback, right? As entrepreneurs, your job is to solve an unsolvable problem, right? You have a vision, you have a view of the world that you're trying to create reality. Uh, but in, in order to do so, you need to check yourself with reality, right? Um, you know, I find that a lot of entrepreneurs, sometimes they're like a legend in their own mind, right? They have this idea, but it's just so unrealistic and they, they, they haven't really validated their idea with the people that they're trying to sell it to or the, 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 the rules that they're trying to change. And, you know, for us, you know, we luckily had, we're, we're able to kind of, you know, check our ego at the door when we started this company. Um, and we took a very lean approach to developing DeepScribe. So what I mean by that is everything that we thought about our company, we did not really build until it was validated by a user. Right. So we found ways to create, you know, MVPs that we would present to prospects, present to users and, and see how they interact with it. Right. Um, and, you know, to this day, like everything in our app from the shape of the buttons to the placement of the buttons, to the workflow to the feature priorities, everything is driven through customer feedback. And I think that is so critical because especially for us as technologists trying to create a product for doctors and none of us are doctors. Um, you know, the only way to really make that work is if, um, you know, you as technologists, you bring all your ideas, but you validate them with the user. Right. Um, so, you know, that, that is really where I think entrepreneurs, you know, either make it or break it, right? Is your ability to, to take feedback and understand what that feedback means, right? Feedback doesn't mean that you're doing a bad job. It doesn't mean that you have a bad idea. 
um, it's feedback and you have to understand how to you know, integrate that into your product development, into your vision um, and in, into your business. Yeah, it definitely makes sense. All the, all the feedback, just more iterations to improving the product. Uh, I guess as the technology sits today, uh, for me, it, it seems like a no brainer for a physician to want to implement it into their practice. But what do you see as some of the challenges uh, for getting physicians to really adopt the solution into their practice? Yeah, I think I think the biggest thing is I would just say skepticism, right? Like it's a classic innovators dilemma and the innovators adoption curve where, you know, you have a small group of providers that are willing to kind of try out new technology and then it, it kind of follows along after that, right? And the issue with in medicine is because the, the issue in medicine is because doctors are in the business of risk management right? They're in the business of saving lives. So if you talk to a clinician that has been spending, you know, that's been practicing medicine for 40 years, right? And they've been doing something one specific way and nothing has gone wrong in that process. A lot of times, most doctors will be very un, like uninclined to change that process, right? Um, but I think with documentation, it's a little different because is so burdensome. It is, is something that if you ask any clinician today, that is something that they, that they will say they wish they can change. Um, so it's really kind of just putting the product in front of a user, right? Like we like for our demos, um, what we do is we literally sit on the phone and we host a live demo. So we have, you know, the, the prospect or um, whoever basically play doctor or play the patient. And one of our reps will, will play the patient or the doctor. And, you know, we'll just record the conversation and see the note that it generates. And, you know, I think it's so important that we do that because doctors need to see what we've built in order to believe it. Right. I think this idea of eliminating burnout, eliminating clinical documentation has gone on so many times, right? Like even with electronic health records, surprisingly one of the promises for EHRs was that it would reduce clinical documentation, right? So, you know, if from a doctor's perspective, there's, there's kind of a bad taste in their mouth where they say, you know, we've been promised so many things and um, it didn't really work out. So, you know, now for us, like we're fighting against that. So if we show them, Hey, like you just recorded this conversation, you just, uh, uh, and, and you're, you're able to see this note. I think that helps us kind of get rid of all that skepticism. Um, pretty, 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 pretty quickly. Yeah. That, that makes a ton of sense. And I, I'm wondering if maybe the physicians who have adopted the, the dictation, um, solutions might be a little bit more open to it because they're kind of progressing in that, um, in that, uh, trajectory. Uh, so I guess, how do you see those competitors, um, that are, you know, having slightly different solutions? Where do you see yourself fitting in the, in that landscape? Um, and I guess, could you just, you know, touch on, you know, what you think about the competition in this space? Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, clinical documentation is not a new problem at all, right? Ever since the advent of EHRs, people have been trying to solve this issue, right? The first subgroup of, of solutions was transcriptionists. Right. So these are literally people that are, you know, listening to a verbatim, you know, summary of the encounter and typing it in. Um, and then they transitioned those transcriptionists to offshore transcriptionists. And then they created speech to text technology. Um, 
which is now kind of, I would say the market leader, right? Um, so you have that bucket of just trying to type what is said verbatim, right? Um, and then on the other hand of the spectrum, you have human scribes, right? So these are virtual scribes. These are scribes that follow these doctors around. And, and doctors love scribes, by the way, right? They, they love scribes when they work because they're literally eliminating the burden of, doc of documentation for them. But, you know, they come with their own suite of problems, right? Scribes, they're very cost prohibitive. Um, they, they tend to cost anywhere from $2,500 to $5,000 a month per, per, uh, per doctor. They're not very scalable, right? Um, because you have to find basically one scribe for every doctor. Um, and, you know, you have all these other associated costs like training, uh, training scribes are very difficult, um, because, um, you have to invest in that training, training, uh, typically it takes around six months to, to actually train a scribe to, so that they're fully ramped. And guess what? The average tenure of a scribe is around six months. So <laughs> by the time you ramp that scribe, the scribe's already off, right? Cause these are typically medical students or, you know, somebody, that is using a scribe as kind of a stepping stone or a way to get clinical experience. Where we see DeepScribe is a new category, right? We see DeepScribe that, we see DeepScribe combining and bringing the quality and um, experience of having a human medical scribe in that it's an ambient uh, workflow, um, but we do so at the same cost and the accessibility of a dictation tool. Um, so we, you know, there are startups in this space as well. Um, so there's a few competitors that are applying technology to the problem to create, uh, a heightened experience for, um, for their users. But I think where we really stand out is the, the level of ambience in our tool, right? So. We like to say Describe is the only product that works for the user. You know, a lot of times what we've seen um, in the market is there's a lot of really cool solutions out there. You know, some of them not even voice. Some of them is like a chatbot, right? That is able to produce clinical documentation. Super cool. Um, but I would say the, the difference is that these tools, the doctor needs to work for them. Right. So the doctor needs to change their workflow to accommodate for some of the technology shortcomings. Um, and by doing so, that's when you kind of uh, run into issues with adoption. That's when you run into issues with utilization. Um, that's when you have a, a less clear ROI to how much are you really eliminating documentation and what is the, the trade off between all the change management that you're going to have to do, the change in your clinical workflow and the, the friction that's going to arise from that um, and everything of the like. So um, that's kind of where I see DeepScribe sitting in the documentation space. Super interesting. So it sounds like, um, you know, you want to have an experience where the doctor and the patient can be in a room and nothing has changed with that experience. They don't even realize that DeepScribe is in the room with them. Uh, if I'm hearing you correctly. Um, so I guess really interesting stuff. I kind of want to switch gears a little bit and kind of talk about financing and what's been your approach and then maybe some lessons learned, uh, that, you know, other entrepreneurs could, um, could take away from. Sure. Yeah. Um, 
So, you know, DeepScribe has, has raised um, a lot of capital from institutional investors so far. Um, and we did that because I think our type of business requires um, investment from the venture market. Um, but in terms of like our approach to it and, and what I would recommend is, you know, I think it's so important to really understand your business in terms of like metrics, like what are the metrics that matter? Like what are the KPIs? What are the North Star metrics that you can point and explain to a sophisticated investor as to why this metric is important, right? I think when we first started the company, we kind of got lost in this rabbit hole of like looking at what other companies were measuring and, and trying to use those as a North Star metric. Um, but really, you know, I, I, what ended up happening was, you know, those metrics really didn't matter to us, right? We had to kind of understand our business on its own and be able to create infrastructure to consistently and accurately report on those metrics. And because we've invested so heavily on that in day one and, you know, realize the importance of it, um, I think that's helped us so much during the fundraising process. Like, you know, we're able to put very, very compelling data on our pitch deck to show, you know, how deep drive is working. And when you're, when you're looking to raise, how do you find the right partner? What type of, uh, you know, criteria are you looking for to make sure that the partnership, you know, is aligned between you and the investor? Yeah. I mean, I think the first, the first thing is you as an entrepreneur needs to have an idea of where you want your business to go. Right. I think one of the things that fundamentally matter is a philosophical alignment between the investors that you choose and yourself. Right. Um, and, and those are something that's something that really can't be taught. Right. It's not something that you can just Google and, and look up. Th that is things from like, you know, we sat in meetings when we raised our seed round, we had 123 meetings. Um, and in those 123 meetings, it was so blatantly obvious on who we would want to take money from and who we didn't. You know, I think that's, that's the first thing is like making sure that the, the, the world and the future that you see is the same world and future that your investor sees, right? Um, because, you know, you don't want those two things conflicting with each other down the line. Um, the second thing is really understanding what your business needs, right? So for us, you know, at very various points of growth, businesses need different things. And with very varying staffing models, varying team compositions, your business needs a lot of things, different things. Um, so if, if you're, you know, a highly technical, you know, founding team with no kind of go-to-market background, you need to find an, uh, uh, an investor that has that experience, right? Um, and is able to provide you value. Um, so, you know, capital is one thing, obviously you want to get the capital and fill around. Um, but most important is, you know, when you do come down and, and select which investors you want, you want to make sure that they're providing value beyond capital and they have a strong, you know, philosophical, philosophical alignment with, you know, how you see the world. Definitely makes sense. It sounds like this is all part of kind of forming that, that overall team to help propel DeepScribe. And part of that team I kind of want to dive into is the actual internal team. How do you approach recruiting top talent? Um, you know, I understand that sometimes it could be difficult, you know, as an early startup to get top talent. So what's been your approach to, you know, attracting people and retaining people? Yeah. Hiring top talent is probably one of the hardest things 
any entrepreneur is going to have to go through. Um, you know, even to this day, like me and my co-founders like look at each other just so surprised on how like how much time we're spending on recruiting than you know what we ever originally thought when we started the company. In terms of strategy, I would say just make sure that you're top of mind in your community, right? So what I mean by that is some of our best recruits um, have come through personal introductions, right? And it's it's and these personal introductions wasn't you know specifically asked for per se. It was just saying you know hey like you're involved in the community that you're in, um, whether it's you know the same vertical like you know, digital health or whether it's just, you know, engineers or whatever it may be. Um, people will think about you when they come by a good, good recruiter, uh, good recruit. Um, and, and that's happened to us several times and we're so grateful for it. And I think that's just because, you know, I like to think we're nice to people. <laughs> um, you know, I think everybody that we meet, you know, we treat with a lot of respect. Right. And, um, I think that has paid off for us a lot because every single time, even our, 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 our investors, you know, when they come by a good recruit, um, you know, they would, they would ask us, they, they would give us first dibs on the recruit. Right. Um, or just, you know, our friends that run other companies, if they talk to a recruit, you know, we, we, we had, we had a recruit, we had a employee come in one time because, um, another entrepreneur that we met in, in Berkeley uh, was hiring. And when he interviewed this person, he honestly said, you would be a better fit for my friend's company. And he interviewed, we interviewed him and we hired him. Um, and, you know, he, he was one of our best employees. So, um, you know, just staying top of mind. You know. Nice. And then now diving into the fast five, uh, these are just standard questions I like to ask every entrepreneur. I think it's interesting just to hear their take on it. So starting with number one, what's the most important piece of advice you would give a fellow entrepreneur? Don't give up. What's a tool that every entrepreneur should implement in their company? Uh, I'll qualify this by saying, you know, I run sales and marketing at, at Describe, and I would say a CRM, right? Like you need to have a very robust CRM in order to, to be successful. Um, and it's not just using the out-of-box configuration of Salesforce or HubSpot or whatever you choose. It's, it's really designing that and building it for you need. What's the most important KPI you track and why? The most K- important KPI that we track is the number of encounters that we process every single week. Um, and the reason why is because um, DeepScribe, you know, like, like all AI, um, improves with the, with, with the data that it has. So it's basically our, um, our metric for our data intake. So, you know, we internally have a number that we're trying to get to um, because we believe that once we get to that number, we'll be able to deliver a fully automated solution. So we're tracking that number every single week to see, you know, what is the velocity at which we're approaching that number and how far away we are from that number. Who's another founder that you view as a personal mentor? Anand Shroff. Um, so Anand uh, is a serial entrepreneur in the digital health space. And um, he's developed, you know, I want to say the exact same product, but, you know, similar products in that, you know, incorporate natural language processing um, for medical records. 
and um, he's a really good friend of, of, of the company and he's been working with us ever since the very beginning. Uh, he serves on um, our advisory board and um, you know, we, we talk to him a lot. So he, he, he's up there. Pitch your company in 30 seconds. Do you want to save three hours a day? If so, sign up for Deep Stride. You got me convinced. Well, thanks so much for coming on. That's all I have. Really appreciate hearing your story as a founder, as well as Deep Scribes. I think a lot of people will get a lot of value from this. So thanks again. Really appreciate it. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. Thanks everyone for tuning in to today's episode. Hope you enjoyed meeting Matt and hearing about his journey as a founder. If you liked the episode, make sure to subscribe to stay on top of the latest shows. Thanks again, and I look forward to taking you along the next Fireside Chat. Thank mm-hmm. you.